Happy Father's Day, and thank you for joining me on this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. This is going to be a big show, lots to get to, including the coronavirus in prisons, racial inequality, the Supreme Court's decision on DACA, chaos in ICE detention facilities, the time for change, and a special last note. All of that and much more ahead. When Barack Obama was, uh, when, when, when Barack Obama became president, he immediately got to work. There were some things that were absolutely essential, and so the president concentrated on those issues and worked diligently to resolve them. He nominated cabinet officials and attorneys, including on May 15, 2009, when he nominated Preet Bharara to serve as the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. When President Barack Obama's term ended, his successor, Donald Trump, came into office, and less than three months into his presidency, he abruptly ordered 46 Obama-era prosecutors to resign. The New York Times describes it like this, quote, The firings were a surprise, especially for Mr. Barrara, who has a reputation for prosecuting public corruption cases for investigating insider trading. In November, Mr. Barrara met with then-President-elect Donald Trump at Trump Tower in Manhattan and told reporters afterward that both Mr. Trump and Jeff Sessions, who is now the Attorney General, had asked him about staying on, which the prosecutors said he expected to do. But on Friday, Mr. Barrara was among federal prosecutors who had received a call from Dana Bonet, the acting attorney, the acting, excuse me, the acting deputy attorney general instructing him to resign, according to a person familiar with the matter. As of Friday evening, those some of those prosecutors had publicly announced their resignations. Mr. Barrara had not. End quote. So all of the, all of these federal, all of these other federal prosecutors had resigned involuntarily. But Mr. Preet Bharara was saying, no way, I'm not going anywhere. So remember, all of these people are career officials at the Justice Department. And this demand to just vigorously push them out of office was astonishing. I mean, it was unusual for all this to transpire simultaneously. It caused disruption and raised lots of questions. So here's the timeline as we know it. On Friday, the Trump administration issued a declaration to all 46 presidentially appointed U.S. attorneys telling them that they ought to submit their resignations. Preet Bharara, though, in Manhattan was confused about this. He was not sure whether this applied to him because he felt that he had a deal with the president of the United States and also with the attorney general back in November to stay on. So Preet did not resign uh, on Friday. By Saturday, matters came to a head at about 2.30 in the afternoon. And just before 2.30, acting Deputy Attorney General Dana Bente uh, called Preet Bharara on the phone, uh, and they sort of danced around this issue of whether he was being fired or whether he was being asked to resign. Uh, There's a lot of political significance to the distinction there, not a whole lot of legal uh, distinction there. Uh, but Preet uh, asked Bente uh, if he was being fired. Bente said, this will Order applies to all U.S. attorneys, including you. Uh, you are being asked to submit your resignation. Ultimately, here's what Preet Bharara tweeted right after that conversation ended. He took to Twitter and his new personal account. He said, I did not resign. Moments ago, I was fired. Being the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York will forever be the greatest honor of my professional life. So that was back in 2017. Lawfareblog.com writes, quote, the president can generally fire his political appointees at will. Now, the attorney general is not the president's personal attorney and should never be. It's imperative that the Justice Department and the president of the United States stay independent. It's also imperative that the Justice Department is independent from the president of the United States. But the president acts like he doesn't care about the law, 
and has no respect for DOJ, the FBI, and their pursuits. And that, that that's a major problem because there could be indication of political interference in some cases over at DOJ. I mean, if you recall back in February, for example, February earlier of this year, right before, the, I mean, this I believe this was right during the Iowa caucuses. The president and the attorney general, William Barr, intervene in the Roger Stone case, essentially calling for the federal prosecutors to lessen his sentence. That led to the, those four federal prosecutors resigning in disgust and in protest of what had just transpired. I mean, what had just transpired here was reprehensible and diametrically inconceivable because the president is not supposed to comment on ongoing DOJ cases. And so for the president to allude that Roger Stone get a shorter sentence was astonishing and just messed up the whole thing. Joyce Vance wrote back in February, quote, I mean, sorry, J Joyce Vance, the former U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Alabama, wrote in Time Magazine back in February, quote, the rule of law approach to a government means not only that a president must be held, not only that a president must himself be held accountable, but also that he cannot be permitted to create special rules that he can use to benefit his friends or punish his enemies. Trump's most recent efforts to manipulate the criminal justice system in this regard are like a four-star fire alarm that should summon the entire country, not just half of it, to put out the fire. This is not a partisan matter. Whether a president is a Democrat or a Republican or affiliated with any other ideology, he or she cannot be permitted to turn the criminal justice system into a political weapon, end quote. That is so very much true. I mean, you cannot turn the criminal justice system into a political weapon as the president of the United States, regardless if you like someone or you don't like someone, regardless if you delineate someone as your friend or delineate someone as your enemy or perceive someone as your friend or enemy. You cannot turn the justice system, you cannot turn the Department of Justice into a political weapon. Because the justice system is supposed to stay independent from the president of the United States. That's why you have seen in the past that justice and FBI talk to the president in sort of meticulous ways and make sure that they are not cozying up to the president's request and to the president's demands. That's why it's imperative that they stay independent. Joyce Vance continues, quote, If the president can get special treatment for himself or for those around him, we no longer have a system people can have confidence in. They will know that it's rigged. A president who continues prosecutions in this manner has assumed the power of a monarch or a dictator, not those given to this duly elected rep not those given to the duly elected representative of the people. End quote. Well, ostensibly, there has been chaos at the Justice Department again. And this time, it has backfired. Earlier in the show, I talked about Preet Bharara and how he refused to resign. The same thing happened here again. Let's take a minute to breathe here, but because I'm going to lay out everything for you chronologically. All right. All right, here we go. So, back when Preet Bharara had, force, had, to, had to forcefully step down, the administration never filled that vacancy. So instead, in January of 2018, Attorney General Jeff Sessions appointed Berman as interim U.S. attorney. Under federal law, the attorney general is permitted to do this. However, there's a caveat. 
as interim appointment expires, either when a presidentially appointed official is confirmed by the Senate or after 120 days has gone by. But if the 120-day period has gone by and there is no Senate-confirmed official, the federal district court for that U.S. attorney can appoint a new U.S. attorney. Federal law states that a court-appointed U.S. attorney can serve until the vacancy is filled. End quote. Sorry. Yes, so they can serve until the vacancy is filled. That reporting is according to Buzz, BuzzFeed News. Now, J- Jeffrey Berman was Jeffrey Berman was appointed by court because the Trump administration had never filled that vacancy. Therefore, that's how we ha- that's how he has ascended to that position. On Friday night, Attorney General William Barr announced that the president had chose a new nominee to serve as U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. Then Barr added that Berman was resigning. Here's one question. Here's my question. Jeffrey Berman should have stayed in that position until the vacancy was filled. So if the president nominated someone for that position and that person had not yet been confirmed by the United States Senate, then why did Barr voluntarily say that Berman resigned? And why did he lie about it? Also, why couldn't Berman just stay in that position until the president's nominee was confirmed by the Senate? I mean, this whole thing is sort of translucent because although we know what happened, we don't know the full story. Why did Barr not inform Berman that he needed to resign? Because apparently Berman was shocked by the news. Here's how BuzzFeed News describes it. Quote, two hours after Barr's statement went out, the Twitter account for the U.S. Attorney's Office posted a statement from Berman saying he wasn't going anywhere. Quote, I learned in a press release from the Attorney General tonight that I was stepping down as United States Attorney. I have not resigned and I have no intention of resigning. My position to which I was appointed by the judges of the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. I will step down when a presidentially appointed nominee is confirmed by the Senate. Until then, our investigation will move forward with delay, without delay or interruption. I cherish every day that I work with the men and woman of this office to pursue justice without fear or favor and unintended to ensure that this office that off, this office's important cases continue unimpeded end quote now if you are just as curious as i am myself and you're wondering what was Berman investigating could that play a factor in why Barr voluntarily said that he resigned well here's how buzzfeed here's how buzzfeed news answers that question quote his office is prosecuting former associates of Trump ally Rudy Giuliani for campaign finance violations and it's reportedly investigating Giuliani's activities as well. The office also subpoenaed the committee that managed Trump's inauguration festivities in 2016 and has brought charges out of that investigation. End quote. So this, so back to the resignation here. William Barr responds to Berman's public statement and William Barr, obviously, you can tell in, in, the, in this statement, he's pretty upset. <laughs> okay, here we go. Quote, Unfortunately, with your statement of last night, you have chosen public spectacle over public service. Because you have declared that you have no intention of resigning, I have asked the president to remove you as of today, and he has done so. So this was Barr 
This is Barr writing back, uh, no, essentially talking uh, back to Jeffrey Berman. I mean, but you can't really get mad at Jeffrey Berman here because it's it's moral leadership. I mean, Friday night, I was sitting in this room. I was watching TV. All of a sudden, at the end of that news program, breaking news emerged that Jeffrey Berman had resigned. This was news to Jeffrey Berman as well. Barr voluntarily resigned. How do I put this in a way that makes sense? Barr voluntarily said that Jeffrey Berman resigned without Beffrey, without Jeffrey Berman's consent. And so the news was astonishing and both shocking to Jeffrey Berman as he himself was learning about this. Why did Barr lie about this? Why was the president and attorney general William Barr trying to sneak Berman out the back door? Hopefully, ho hopefully notice, hopefully hoping that no one would notice. Oh, it's Friday night. No one's going to notice. No one pays attention to the news on the weekend, especially Father's Day coming up. So, I mean, th th this news story here is just inexplicable in itself. And there are some questions that need to be answered. As I said, this is like a translucent news story. And there are lots of questions that need to be answered here. Zoe Tillman from BuzzFeed News finishes off her piece like this. Quote, The removal of a court-appointed U.S. attorney in an unusual situation isn't is an unusual situation, but it's one that the Justice Department has considered before. In 1979, the Office of Legal Counsel issued an opinion exploring the power of a president and an attorney general to remove a court-appointed U.S. attorney. The opinion concluded that a president did did have authority to remove a court-appointed U.S. attorney and could direct an attorney general to carry out the order. End quote. According to the Washington Post, some legal experts believe that, as a result, only the court can replace Berman until a nominee is confirmed. Now, uh, apparently, the guy who will replace Jeffrey Berman is Jay Clayton. Jay Clayton has no prosecutorial experience whatsoever and is currently right now the chairman of the SEC, which stands for the Securities of the, which, excuse me, which stands for Securities and Exchange Commission. He also serves as a corporate lawyer with deep connections to Wall Street. Ostensibly, this whole mess transpired because Clayton was about to step down and had shown interest in the New York position. Therefore, he has now been nominated. Therefore, he has now been nominated. Democratic Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said in a statement, quote, 47 years ago, Elliot Richardson had the courage to say no to a gross abuse of presidential power. Jay Clayton has a similar choice today. He can allow himself to be used in the brazen Trump bar scheme to interfere in the investigations by the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, or he can stand up to this corruption, withdraw his name from consideration, and save his own reputation from overnight ruin, end quote. Senator Chuck Schumer is also calling on DOJ's Inspector General, as well as its Office of Professional Responsibility, to call in to investigate why exactly Trump and Barr so quietly, why Trump and Barr tried to excuse me, why Trump and Barr tried to surreptitiously sneak Berman out the back door, hopefully hoping no one would notice. Meanwhile. On the Republican, the Republican chairman of the Senate, Senate Judiciary Committee, Lindsey Graham, said on Saturday that he wouldn't move forward on confirmation hearings 
unless he has the support by the New York senators, by the two New York senators uh, in the state of New York, which is Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand. Those two Democrats, excuse me, those two Democrats say he shouldn't even be considered for the job. Not only that, but other Democrats have also followed in their footsteps, expressing skepticism and disapproval. Now, as I previously stated, he has deep connections with Wall Street. The Washington Post reports, quote, Before Trump nominated him to the SEC, Clayton, a longtime partner with Sullivan and Cromwell, had never held a government position. He had represented some of the biggest names in the financial world, including Goldman Sachs and Bill Ackman of Pershing Capital, end quote. On Clayton's 2017 financial disclosure, Form, Clayton listed Deutsche Bank as a source of compensation exceeding, quote, exceeding $5,000, end quote. The bank, just, the bank just so happened to be a client of his former law firm, Sullivan and Crumwell. But if you go back to Clayton being confirmed for the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, let me ask this question. Why, why replace an experienced person with prosecutorial experience, with someone who has no prosecutorial experience at all. Why do that? It's almost like you're setting someone up for, uh, for to, to be perceived as an incompetent leader. It's almost like you're setting someone up to be perceived as a failure. I mean, if Jay Clatton has no prosecutorial experience whatsoever, and Jeffrey Berman does, why is Jay Clatton being ascended to this office? I mean, part of the reason why the Justice Department remains so independent, part of the reason why G DOJ is so independent is because the prosecutors there at DOJ, the, the lawyers there at DOJ, everyone who works at DOJ, they work with competence, they work with moral leadership, ethics. But if, if he has no experience with prosecutorial experience, how is he supposed to handle cases? How is he supposed to mandle, man, excuse me, manage cases? The U.S. attorney for the, to the Southern District of New York is a powerful job. It is a prominent position. It is a potent position. And so for, for, for the Trump administration to nominate someone that is unqualified for this job to serve as the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, for the Trump administration to try to pull this plug again, to try to pull this one again, it's not going to work. It's completely backwards. It's like firing a teacher and telling her to go be a doctor when she has no medical experience whatsoever. I mean, th this whole thing is just inexplicable, and hopefully we can get some answers on what has just transpired this week. Goodness. J Jennifer Rubin from the Washington Post writes, quote, It is time for decent and honorable public servants at DOJ to quit and lay out the facts for the American people. Most importantly, nothing could better highlight the need to remove Trump at the polls in November and bring his lawlessness to an end. End quote. It has been a long week here in the United States. Uh, I've had to re my, rewrite my show like twice. <laughs> I, I had other things that I would talk about on the show, but then something else broke. And more breaking news, more breaking news. 
But there is much more to get to tonight. Please stay with us on the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Big night here. Meet the Ninja Foodie Air Fry Oven. Make fast, family-sized meals in the time it takes some ovens to preheat. With Ninja's superheated air, you can air fry for extra crispy, guilt-free, delicious results. And because it's a Ninja Foodie, it can do things that no other oven can. And even flip up and out of the way. The Ninja Foodie Air Fry Oven, the oven that crisps and flips away. The Washington Post reports that on May 31st, 1921, it... it, The Washington Post tells the story like this, quote, the mob sets fire to hundreds of black owned businesses and homes. Historians believe as many as 300 black people were killed and more than 10,000 black residents were left homeless. Witness report, witnesses report they saw planes dropping kerosene bombs from the sky and bodies loaded onto trucks. On June 1st, 1921, with the Greenwood District mostly destroyed, martial law is declared and thousands of black residents are rounded up and held at the city's fairgrounds and other locations until a white person vouches for them. Uh, End quote. This reporting is from Washington Post, the Washington Post once again. Uh, yesterday Yesterday was Juneteenth. Essentially, it is the anniversary of when the Union General came to Galveston, Texas, to inform the slaves there that slavery was officially declared illegal, it was over, and President Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation Act. So that was in the late 1800s. But this is the place where Tulsa, Oklahoma right now is the place where COVID-19 outspots are transpiring, and this is also the place where the president wants to hold his first political rally in months since the coronavirus. Uh, joining me now is my uncle to talk about this and to also share his perspective on this situation. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I want to ask this first question. Uh, six members of the president's campaign team have tested positive for the coronavirus. Um, what, what, what's, your, what's your point on that news? Uh, not surprising at all. Um, and the, the fact that they're not even considering trying to cancel it, I don't believe, mm-hmm. is even more surprising. Um, but it, they say they didn't take it serious, man. I'm pretty sure that probably one of those six people that did uh, end up getting tested positive for it now uh, were probably one of the same ones. They probably didn't think it was real. They couldn't get it. It wasn't that bad. Uh, so now it's reality check for them. So I'm, I'm interested to see. Um, interested to see if any of any more of the uh, uh, people working on his campaign test positive, or if any of them uh, decided they're not going to be a part of his campaign anymore. Mm-hmm. The president is holding a rally today in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, today, um, do is it possible that this will be a new COVID nineteen outbreak? Oh yes, uh, and the, the the thing is, I think it will be for sure, one hundred percent. Um, but the other issue is that so many things are opened up. Anytime an event gets added, you're just making it that much worse for this stuff to spread. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, are you going to be able to pinpoint it and be like, hey, because he had this rally, he had all these cases pop up? No, you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to pinpoint it. But it's definitely for sure is going to cause uh, spread of the virus even more than what it is. Uh, now, when the president gets there today, um, as I was watching just on TV, I saw this it was, it was on the news. The president, there are some like large, large tall gates, about 12 feet. Uh, Black Lives Matter protests are 
prepared to be there. The president has threatened that they will not be treated fairly. Uh, now, we do, as our nation, we do, as citizens of this country, have the First Amendment right, which is to peacefully assemble and protest. Um, do you think the president is threatening the First Amendment, and what does he mean by they will not be treated fairly? When he says they're not that, I, I do take that as a threat more than a warning, mm-hmm. um, because he is—it's it's his rally. So if he wants people to be treated fairly, that's what he says. If, if that's what he wants, if he wants peace, he would tell his people, "Hey, look, they're coming. It's their First Amendment right. They might not agree with everything we want to do, just like we don't agree with everything they want. But this is their right. So there shouldn't be any chaos." But the fact that the first thing that popped in his mind was that, oh, uh, it's not going to be fair. You're not going to be treated fairly. It shows that he's not even willing to to get in a position to defend mm-hmm. everyone in America that he should be doing. And that is what the president is supposed to do. He's for everyone, not just a group of people. Uh, for the president of the United States to come out in a rally and the, the leader of the nation, as cases are rising exponentially all over the nation, for the president of the United States to do this, do you think that other citizens of this country will feel, oh, if the president's going back out, then it's okay for me to come out as well? Uh, for sure. I, honestly, I don't think him coming back out um, is even going to change some of them. I think most of those people have already been out already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just more confirmation, if anything, like, yeah, see, I told you it was fine because he's out now, but... Even if he didn't come back out, uh, I, I still think his supporters would still be out there. Is it is it a possibility that is it a possibility that there could be violent clashes with uh, the, the the Trump supporters and also some of the Black Lives Matter protests that are expected to yes. transpire? Yes, yes, it's a high probability, mm. very high probability. I, I mean, and and people don't even have to be really good at math to understand that you. You you can't you shouldn't mix those two. You, you can't. It's um. It's like if you see a fire burning, are you gonna pour more gasoline on it? No. That's exactly what's <laughs> what's about to happen. Yeah, that's exactly what's about to happen. Fire and gasoline, those two things, they 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 don't work well together. They explode. Depending on what you want. If you want chaos, mm-hmm. fine. They work perfect together. But if you don't, then you don't want to have those two things next to each other. Yeah. Uh, Once again, joining me now is my uncle to share his perspective on this story. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show to share your perspective. Hey, I appreciate you, man. I look forward to coming back. All right. We'll be right back. I remember the night of July 19th, 2018. I remember being on my bed, sitting down there. I was watching a video uh, on the Zolo Tech YouTube channel in particular. And on that YouTube channel, I was watching this video about uh, what's on my iPhone videos. Those were popular back then. Well, at, at least I thought. And so I was watching the video, and as the guy was going through his his phone, he showed this one app called Anchor. And so at this time, I had been inspired by my grandmother to start a podcast, but I just didn't know what to do, how to start, and what equipment that I needed. And I, I, I was I was curious. I was like, do I need a microphone? Do I need headphones? Do I need a brand new laptop? Do, do, what do I need? And so ultimately, I, I took his advice, and I took that recording app called Anchor, and I started recording on it. And ever since then, I've used Anchor, and I'm extremely grateful that that moment transpired. And now I record every every Saturday and every other day for podcasting specials on this show. And so on July 19th, 2020, 
we will be two years old. That's right. The Jeremiah Patterson show will be two years old. I like to thank all of the listeners and everyone who has listened to this show and everyone that has shared this show with your family and friends. And just thank you so very much for listening to this show and please continue to spread the word. In 2012, President Barack Obama introduced the DACA program, which stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. This program, uh, excuse me, this program protects young adults, unauthorized immigrants here in the United States, and provides them protection from being deported. That protection only lasts for two years. However, it can be renewed. While it is not the only, while it is not the pathway to citizenship, the programs has lots of benefits, which includes allowing you to stay in this country, getting work permits, and obtaining health insurance from employers from employers who offer it. Not only that, but the ability to legally work and pay for school, and pursue higher education. Even in some states, you can get a driver's license. DACA recipients can also qualify for in-state tuition and and state-funded education grants and loans in some states. The New York Times writes, quote, depending on where they live, they may also qualify for state-subsized health insurance, end quote. So this is the DACA program. It It has been in place since 2012. 2012 was also an election year. President Obama beat Mitt Romney in that election and won re-election by 126 points. He secured more than 270 electoral votes. The total count for President Obama was 332 electoral votes. He had won overwhelmingly that year. That was also the same year that the Democrats maintained the majority in the Senate and that the Republicans maintained a majority in the House. This was President Obama's last term in office, which meant that the next president would not be him. So the 2016 elections transpired. Lots of Republicans jumped in the race, and so did many Democrats. But ultimately, it came down to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Americans were ready to elect the first female president, but then something shocking happened, sort of unexpected. Donald Trump was starting to win more states and ultimately won the Electoral College, won the Electoral vote by more than 300 points. Hillary Clinton that night would only receive 227 electoral votes. The goal is to receive 270. Now, although Donald Trump did not win overwhelmingly like President Obama did in 2012, he did win the presidency. Therefore, America woke up to the new president-elect. On the campaign trail, Donald Trump has had repeatedly used xenophobic remarks about immigrants and talked about deporting them even implying that the U.S. would build a wall and that Mexico would pay for it, which is still to this day sort of inexplicable. By the way, Mexico never paid for that wall and it was never built. Another thing that transpired was another thing Trump was, was interested in was getting rid of DACA. And that was very problematic and also very, very scary. Because if DACA is eradicated, then that would be detrimental and also calamitous. But in context and strategically speaking, that would really what would really happen if DACA was removed? Well, first let's let and first let's encapsulate this a bit. In 2012, President Barack Obama introduced DACA. DACA has lots of benefits and protects immigrants who do not have legal status in the in this country. There are more than 700,000 people registered under DACA and approximately 1.8 million dreamers who are eligible now. 
And don't forget the 300,000 Dreamers who will become eligible as they enroll in or have in or have their education requirements come to fruition. The people that are under DACA cannot be kicked out of the U.S. by DHS unless, the, unless they commit a crime, which then inevitably leads to deportation. But I, I'm going to get to the question on the removal of DACA in a second, but, but I want to just talk about this one last point. Seven days before, seven days after the 2016 presidential election, seven days after Donald Trump had already won the presidential election and shocked half of America, seven days after Trump won the election, President Barack Obama held a press conference. In this, pre in this press conference, he was essentially telling Donald Trump to think long and hard about ending DACA and all the families it would affect. On the deferred action program that we have known as DACA that relates to dreamers who are currently benefiting from uh, these provisions. Uh, I will urge uh, the president-elect and the incoming administration uh, to uh, think long and hard before they are um, endangering the status of what for all practical purposes, are American kids. Uh, I mean, these are kids who were brought here by their parents. They did nothing wrong. They've gone to school. They have pledged allegiance to the flag. Some of them have joined the military. They've enrolled in school. By definition, if they're part of this program, uh, they are solid, uh, wonderful young people of good character. Uh, and uh, it, it, uh, it is my strong belief that the majority of the American people would not want to see uh, suddenly those kids have to start hiding again. Uh, and uh, that's something that uh, I will uh, encourage uh, the president-elect to look at. On January 20th, 2017, when Donald Trump was sworn in as president of the United States, he decided to reject President Obama's advice and work to pull the plug anyway. The first attempt came in 2017 when the Trump administration canceled DACA. Then the second attempt came in September of 2018 when the Trump administration stated that no one knew would be protected under the program and that those currently covered would immediately lose their protection the following month, which was in March 6th of 2018. So, so, so that, that was back then. The Dreamers are delineated as DACA recipients. The New York Times writes, quote, After a similar piece of legislation called the DREAM Act, which was introduced in 2001 and would have given its beneficiaries a path to American citizenship as well as protection from deportation, end quote. Since the Trump administration tried to end DACA in 2017, no new applicants have been accepted, but immigrant advocates have managed to keep it partially alive for present participants through legal battles. Lower courts have stepped in to protect this program, and earlier this week, a higher court stepped in. The Supreme Court is the highest court in the United States and the most powerful. The vote was 5-4. to four and the court ruled that the Trump administration's attempt to cancel the policy was, quote, unlawful, end quote. Jonathan Blitzer from, from the New Yorker writes, quote, 
last no last November, the justices heard the oral arguments about whether the Trump administration had lawfully ended the program. On Thursday, in a stunning and unexpected decision, the justices ruled five to four that the Trump administration's move was unlawful. End quote. Despite this momentous moment for d- d- despite this momentous moment for not only dreamers but for the United States to look at this as a, a significant moment in American history the Trump administration is still looking to eliminate the program and it it only, it only comes as of yesterday which was father's day excuse me yes it only comes as of yesterday which was father's day that the that the secretary of homeland security is trying to still eliminate this program. He is claiming that the program is unlawful and that the Trump administration and, and that his department, DHS, is still working to eliminate DACA. And so if DACA is eliminated, what will happen? Politico writes, quote, what happens if Trump pulls the plug? It depends on how hard he pulls it. He could rescind all existing DACA permits, but even the Texas, but even the Texas letter asks only that he stop issuing new ones or renewals. Once their permits expire, the estimated 780,000 DACA beneficiaries will at best return to their pre-2012 status. They won't be able to work legally. Some will work off the book, off, off of the books. Some may find employers willing to falsify, falsify employment edu- eligibility forms, and others will use someone else's social security number. In some states, including Texas, access to a driver's license also disappears once lawful presence is revoked. But the Dreamers can remain in the United States if the Trump administration wants them to. The state's letter, the state's letter, just like the just like their 2014 lawsuit, took pains to the state that their request, quote, does not require the federal government to remove any alien, end quote. The 2014 lawsuit expressly noted that the states were not challenging DHS Secretary Jay Johnson's 2014 memo setting forth priorities for immigration enforcement. That memo listed three categories of priorities, including national security threats, criminals, and those recently issued a finance, excuse me, a final order of removal by any immigration judge and instructed Immigration and Customs Enforcement to pursue removal of others only if an ICE field office director deemed that it would serve, quote, an important federal interest, end quote. And so, so, so that is, that, that's what would happen if President Trump were to get rid of DACA. But the question is, why is he trying to eliminate the program in the first place? Here's how the New York Times answers that question. Quote, after equivocating publicly over the program, Mr. Trump announced in 2017 that he would end DACA after nine conservative state attorneys, general attorney generals with hardline views on immigration threatened to sue him, arguing that Mr. Obama had overreached his authority in creating it. Mr. Trump, excuse me, Mr. Trump, called on Congress to come up with a replacement. His recession ordered, his, excuse me, his, his recession order offered only the overreach argument, not only, not any other reason for scrapping the program. The Supreme Court ruled on Thursday that it was not legally sufficient. End quote. And so that is ultimately what has transpired this week. Dreamers in this country are a beautiful thing. 
This nation is diverse and contains people from all over the world, from many different backgrounds, from many different cultures. That is what makes the United States so inspiring and what makes others want to come live in this country. But what the Trump administration is trying to do here is just astonishing. Retrospectively, the Supreme Court has overruled them, and the Supreme Court has blocked their attempt to have their plan come to fruition. Therefore, DACA isn't going anywhere, and that is a remarkable thing. Much more to get to tonight. Stay with us. I think that today speaks volumes to the anxiety that most of us have been feeling since President Trump got into office, since the rescission of the program, and since it has been brought forth in the Supreme Court. And so I think today is a win, not just for us, but for folks who stand with us. And I think that that is probably the most important part. Today's Supreme Court decision, you know, to allow the DACA program to continue and to live on is really in line with what the majority of Americans want and what our immigrant communities truly deserve. If you looked at America like a bird and that was all you knew, would you really understand it with just that point of view? We've got a different way to look at it from right here on the ground. We don't just see United States, we see United Towns. From where we sit, just down the street, near the post office, by the park, when we stop and look around, what we see are sparks. Sparks of hope, of compassion, of communities who stand firm, when neighbors lift each other up, expecting nothing in return. We're grateful for what you bring, and all the sparks you've shown, and the thousands of towns that we get to call home. Welcome back. I didn't want to have the episode too long, so we have decided to take away just a couple of segments and put them on the next episode. For, for So for Tuesday, Tuesday until Friday, Tuesday through Friday, it'll be a four-day special here on the Jeremiah Patterson Show, a four-day special of reporting. But before we go, here's the history of Father's Day. William Jackson Smart was a farmer from Arkansas, a sergeant with the Union's first Arkansas Light Artillery during the American Civil War, and is the reason why we celebrate Father's Day. After relocating the family to Spokane, Washington in 1887, William's wife died 11 years later while giving birth to their sixth child, leaving him alone to raise their five sons and only daughter, Sonora. By her own recollection, Mr. Smart did a wonderful job of raising the family and Sonora loved him very much. In 1909, while attending a Mother's Day celebration at her church, a holiday that was gaining national attention at the time, Sonora thought, because of her esteem for her own, that fathers deserved the same recognition. Shortly after, she approached the Spokane Ministerial Alliance and suggested June 5th, her father's birthday, as a day to recognize fathers. Wanting more time to prepare their sermons, the Alliance chose June 19th instead. Thus, the first Father's Day was officially observed in the state of Washington on June 19, 1910. The idea spread quickly across the nation. In 1924, President Calvin Coolidge recognized Father's Day as the third Sunday in June of that year and encouraged states to do the same. Congress officially recognized Father's Day in 1956 with the passage of a joint resolution. 
Ten years later, in 1966, President Lyndon Johnson issued a proclamation calling for the third Sunday in June to be recognized as Father's Day. In 1972, President Richard Nixon permanently established the observance of the third Sunday in June as Father's Day in the United States. Sonora Smart Dodd lived to celebrate many Father's Days. She died in 1978 at the age of 96. Thank you for being with me on this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. On this episode, I discuss the chaos at the Justice Department and what is transpiring over there at DOJ. I also discussed uh, this current situation on DACA and what the Supreme Court has just ruled five to four. I have also discussed on this show some other things, among other things, as well as the history of Father's Day, which is very intriguing. I hope you learned something new. I did not know that myself, and it's, it's, quite, it's quite amazing. Uh, but thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Uh, once again, join us Tuesday through Friday on special reporting here on the Jeremiah Patterson Show as we are watching a, a week as a nation as news continues to spread and as news continues to break expeditiously. Uh, but I want to I want to tell you this last thing here. So the, the the video that you just heard, the audio clip that you just heard there, that was from the I lstv.com once again that's from ilstv.com just wanted to state my source there thank you again for listening have a great day and see you tomorrow